But I can say praise the name of the living God. Amen. I bring you greetings from my wife, Doreen, and our children who have raised six, and our baby is turning 26. That makes you calculate and find out how old I might be. <laughs> and uh, it's a joy to be here again. I was here, I think, in 2012, and... Uh, my dear friend here now, I just forgot to forget the name, but you were here addressing us. That was really lovely. We were blessed to be here at that conference. And uh, coming back again, it's a real blessing. Steve has been to Uganda many times. And with Bani Coombs and men of that community, brethren from the Sultan Light International, and we have, uh, you know, just benefited from one another. It looks like we're just one family across the world. And it was beautiful to meet in India last year and then eventually back here. Steve, thank you very much for welcoming me here. And Grace has been in touch. Where is Grace? I've been, you know, you never see people. You only see them on the email and you don't know how they look like, but there she is. Thank you very much. We have been in touch. Wanting to share a few things and I hope that we can be able to manage to do a few of these things before the time is up. Because somebody told me that the American enjoys his cup of coffee and the English enjoys his cup of tea, but the African enjoys his microphone. <laughs> so, it's, 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 so when you give me the microphone, it's very elastic, it's the endless world, so I can just go on. But I pray that I will not over-enjoy it. <laughs> Steve, that's good. Now, I was requested to share uh, on something of introducing unbelievers to our friendship with Jesus. And that's what we are all doing today. Now, I don't come from a level of expertise. I don't come from up there coming down to you, my brothers and sisters. I come at this level so that we share together some things that God is revealing to us. Some of these issues are things I have picked along the way in my own life, in ministry, and like Steve was telling you, I lead the work in Uganda, uh, a little over 300 churches now, and um, there are a few things I have learned along the way. The hard way sometimes, but it's good to learn lessons over those issues. So uh, what I share with you today is something coming from a challenge from scripture. And I would desire that what we get out of what I'm sharing will be principles from the word of God. Because those go across cultures. Those go across nations. They are not limited to any community. They go across. And these principles will be very useful as we look at them in the word of God. And quickly, I would like to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28 And starting at verse 18, Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came up, I'm reading from New American Standard Version, just in case it's different from yours. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, 
even to the end of the age. I want to read another scripture from Mark chapter 16. Mark 16 and verse 17. So he says here, these signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And then turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We're running a bit of scriptures here and there in the Bible. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Acts chapter 8 now. That should be the last bit. Others I can just make references to, but I want us to read this one. Very important. Acts chapter 8 and verse 4. Therefore those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. Glory to the name of the living God. So we are talking about introducing people, the unbelievers, a friendship with Jesus Christ. We want people to come into friendship with Jesus Christ. We call it soul winning. But it all culminates in what Jesus said. Because this is going along the words that Jesus Christ himself made a declaration of. In Matthew chapter 28, what did he say? He says, go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples of them. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey all the things I have commanded you. Go, go, go into all the world. That, that, those are the words of Jesus Christ. As we look at Matthew chapter 28, we discover that these were the last words. And one of the things that I know about human beings is that the last words are very important. When a man is about to die and he's making a will, we don't put aside those words that he makes. Those are very, very important words. When somebody's going on a long journey and he speaks and he charges you with words of what you ought to do when he's away, you take them seriously. And in the case of Jesus with his disciples, the last words were about going and making disciples of all nations. That's the last thing he did. 
And in chapter 1, verse 8 of Acts of Apostles, he says, You tarry in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Then you will be my witnesses. In other words, there's a job to be done here. I normally think about Jesus' life. And uh, when I think about the apostles that were with him, the disciples that he went with day in and day out, and he taught by the lakeside, he taught by the marketplaces, he went and healed the sick, and he moved with these people from place to place. I normally think about these people having been with Jesus in his Bible school for three years. The Jesus Bible school called it. For three years. And then at their graduation, when Jesus is going, he commissions them. Now you have learned, you have seen what I have done, you have heard what I have said, you have observed the things that you have seen around me, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. My brothers and sisters, this day I stand to say something, that uh, in introducing unbelievers to a friendship with Jesus is the cardinal thing that we ought to do. We, it's the main thing, and I'm talking about making the main thing the main thing. Making disciples, soul winning. The philosophers, the old philosophers, had three main questions to ask. What? Why? And how? And what we are talking about is this main thing of soul winning. Why? Because we know humanity is lost without God. They are cut off. That's why we are here. That's why we have been commissioned. I was just having a chat with the one who was teaching last Sunday, and he concluded at making, making us, we are the people who are lead people in reconciliation to God. That's the commission that we have been given. Reconcile us. Why? Because people have fallen away from God. The grace of God, they're not there. That's why Jesus said, go and make them disciples. Go and bring those who have fallen away. That's the thing that makes us do that. But usually, the biggest problem is how. The biggest problem is how. How do we do it? That's the puzzle of a very Christian. When you are born again, we're in a church, we're in a fellowship, and we come and worship God, and everything seems to be going well, very well. But the world outside there, statistically, is perishing. How do we get them on board? How do we bring them before the Lord Jesus Christ? How do we introduce them here to him? And I just want to go through this quickly so that I can beat the African problem. The first thing I want to declare today is that if we as a fellowship here is to get the community in Oxford and everywhere else we go to the Lord Jesus Christ is that we must get everybody involved. So all of us who are here ought to be involved. And the reason why I'm saying that is because in many churches, when you go to them, you find a few specialists. Brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, those are the evangelists in this church. They are the ones who are specialists in bringing people to the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to say, the commissioning Jesus brought about in Matthew 28 is for all of us. The job is for every one of us. May I just request you to do something? Please permit me if it's not very much permissible with your culture. Just, just help me. I'm requesting you to just talk to your neighbor. You say, my neighbor, you are part of it. Just tell your neighbor. <laughs> and after that, tell them that 
<laughs> and after that, please, I would like you to, to, to help me again. Tell them, neighbor, you ought to get involved. So now here, I'm so glad because I'm so glad because this morning I have recruited a very big army. And uh, everybody ought to get involved. The whole question of soul winning, the whole question of bringing the lost to the Lord Jesus Christ is not a speciality of a few people. It's not even one person's monopoly. It's for every one of us to get involved. It's for the whole church. We need to get busy with the, the, the main thing with the commission that Jesus Christ has put us onto. No single person can do the job. I just want to relate a little bit on what uh, David did. We read from 1 Samuel chapter 22, and I think it's verse 2, that at, at Adullam, there was a bunch of men that came to David to make him king. There were only 400. And the Bible says that they were in distress, too. They were discontented, and three, they were in debt. That's, that's the kind of qualification of the men that came to make him king. Men who were in debt, men who were in distress, men who were discontented. People who were not satisfied with the status quo. They said something has to happen here. You know, when you get a community of people who say we are not satisfied, we want something different, that's the beginning of victory. That's the beginning of revival. When you get a church, a fellowship, which says we are not satisfied, we want to make sure that the Lord wins the whole of Oxford to himself. When you get a community here seated and saying, we look around and we see the Lord has blessed us with this mighty hall, and how much we long that the Lord will move in his revival, in his power and in his spirit to fill the whole of this place. Those kind of people who are discontented, who are dissatisfied, are the ones who tap the interest of God and who cause the Lord to release his spirit for victory. Yes. And I'm praying that I will be part of that, to pray with you. Now that I'm here and you have asked me to be participant in this, I want to pray that the Lord will cause this to happen. And all of us who have been recruited in this army today will say we will work hard at it. These 400 men worked so hard with David, and the Bible says later on in 1 Chronicles chapter 11 and 1 Chronicles chapter 12 that they built up to be hundreds and hundreds of thousands of men who fought and made sure that David became the king. There were men who were dissatisfied in pain. And for us, we can be in pain thinking about the world that is dying, the people around us who are dying without sin. You go to the city and you see them. Many people moving in the city and you wonder where they are going. As you meet them, they are either going to heaven or to hell. And you say, Lord, there is pain here. Committing of suicide. And a lot of evils that are reported all over. Where are the people going? When we come to that state of affair, we just get to pray and we begin to say we need to work hard. In the days of Nehemiah, everybody got involved. When you read chapter 3, you find that there were 31 stations where everybody was a participant in the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And I pray that dawns on our hearts tonight. Two, have a desire and passion for souls. We ought all to get involved. But the other thing, the second thing is that we must have a passion and a desire for souls. The dying world. 
This is the driving engine. This is the factor that causes us to move. For us to do something, we must have a motivation. We must have a power. We must have a strength. We must be propelled to the direction God wants us to move. So we must have that desire, ability. Say, Lord, I desire that. You see, without a desire, you can't do much. Psalm 37, verse 4. In Psalm 37, verse 4, the Bible says, Delight in the Lord, and he will fulfill the desire of your heart. It's when I have a desire. Lord, Lord, I want to see, I want to see somebody. One of these days in this, in this year 2014, sitting by my side in this church, worshiping the living God. That's my desire, Lord. I desire to see that. God says when you delight in him, he will fulfill the desire of your heart. And when you have that desire, things begin to happen. No man in, who has moved in revival all over the world began without a desire. They all had a desire. They began to pray you know, to God. They believed God for something. Number three, have a will and personal initiative. Have a will. Because where there's a will, there's a way. Have a will and personal initiative to do it. You do something about it. I like what Bernie Coombs gave us as an illustration one time concerning a young man who wanted to give a prophetic word in the church. And when he came forward to his pastor, he says, I just want to give a prophetic word this morning to the church. And the pastor said, why well, you go ahead and do it? And when he stood there at the front, he says, that says the Lord, do it. And then he dried up. He didn't have any more words. <laughs> so he went back to the pastor and said, pastor, it's not working out. I want you to help me. The pastor said, go and try again. And so he came and says, that says the Lord, do it. And he dried up again. Do you know why he was struggling? It's because he was imitating. He, was, he wanted to put it out like other people had been doing it. So he was struggling with that. So when the pastor, the third time, when the pastor said, go and do it the last time, and go and sit down. So he came and said, that says the Lord, do it. And he started crying. And he went and sat down right at the other end because he felt very embarrassed. And people were looking at him. So he sat strategically at the end of the church so that he could run out when the service is over. But as he was sitting at the back there, one big businessman had noted him. He recognized where he sat. And when the service was over, the businessman ran towards him. He went and hugged him. He says, brother, that was my word. He says, you know what? I've been struggling many times to give money to God for the work of the ministry. And this morning, I got my checkbook. I put it in my briefcase. I came to church, and I said, if God tells me to do it, I'll do it. <laughs> so I came over. And the first time you said, that says the Lord, do it, I pulled out my checkbook. But I didn't write any check. Second time you said, that says the Lord, do it. I wrote the check, but I never signed the third time you said, that says the Lord, do it. And you even cried. I signed the check. <laughs> and now there's money for the ministry. Come on, somebody, hallelujah. Amen. That says the Lord, do it. You must have a desire to do something and have an initiative and move and do something. If this young man sat and never took a step of faith to put in practice what he was exercising in his heart, nothing would have happened. 
When we can never win people to the Lord Jesus sitting, we have to take initiative. We have to take a step of faith and go and talk. It's all about talking. It's all about getting them to know who Jesus is. Nothing can happen when we are starting about it. Let me tell you what. When I was young uh, in, in the early times of the church, we, as we were growing up, one of the things that we got exercised into was this one here. Our pastor on Sunday would be surprised by so many testimonies, like Steve stood here and says about the testimonies. Then they say, hey, let's see what Jesus has done over the week. Then you see a lot of people competing to come to the pastor. Let me just illustrate it, please. The people would come there. Steve, would you stand there, please? This is what they would do. We would come in line and say, hey, pastor, praise the Lord. During this week, I just got this lady. From my bar somewhere, I was talking to her about Jesus, and she has given her life to Jesus in the week. Oh, <laughs> praise the Lord. And then the church would rejoice. And then another young man would come up with another one and say, hey, look. Oh. She <laughs> 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 says, hey, pastor, look. I, I, I've, I've just led this guy to the Lord. I found him fighting. <laughs> he, he, was, he was a fighter. He was a rascal around here, but, you know, he just gave him life to Christ. Excellent. I did that. And so, so these two guys come. And another one, another one, sometimes you'll find we have four people who have brought these people to the Lord Jesus because they have taken initiative to bring them to the Lord Jesus. And when they come, then the pastor teaches them how to win souls. So now the three of us go to win more souls. Come on, you get it. Get it. Yes, you can. Get it. I want to get it. Now, Sunday has come again. The second Sunday. Each one of you, 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 you must do the job. Bring your soul. I'm bringing mine. They'll come. Oh, how pastor, oh, Chris here. Yeah. Oh, it's called Chris here. Yeah. I just led him to the Lord this week. <laughs> and he just the Lord. You introduce yours. You also introduce yours. The pastor. And, and, then you dis- and then you disciple those guys. And so now, how many are we now? One, two, three, four, five, six. All of us go for more. Come on. This, 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 this week is three now. Yes, Hi, guy. You know, yes, yes. Oh, no, no. Let, me let me just get another one. Yes, Yes, one of those youths and good brothers. Yes, we just get this one here. Hi. 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 You say, Jesus loves you. Yeah. Okay, I'll get you. This was Sandra. Oh, Sandra, what's that? Hi, Pastor. Uh, yes, yes, this week. I found her in a dancing hall. And, you know, she, she just gave her life to Jesus. And she, she, she's determined to walk with him. And so, yes. Oh, hallelujah. Now, you see how the church has gone over three weeks? Come on, everybody go out praising the Lord. Give your blessing. And uh, it's not just waiting for a crusade. Some people wait for the church, they wait for the pastor, the elders to organize a crusade. Say, hey, look, guys, this week is a week to go and fish souls. No, no, no. It is a daily thing. One of the things that is exciting about God is that God is very excited in what happens between Monday and Saturday. Sunday is a time of celebration. When we come here, we come to celebrate what God has done. What do we do between Monday and Saturday? That's the crucial question. What we do Monday to Saturday is where God's excitement is because he knows there we are penetrating the systems of, of, of men. We are penetrating the cosmos. And that's where it is in the marketplace. 
That's where the human beings are. That's where the people who are cheating are doing things. Everything that's going on for those six days matters a great deal. On Sunday, we come to celebrate the victories of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. Number four, Holy Spirit power. I would like to say this. Even if we have so many methods on how to do it, if we don't have the power, we can't do much. And that's why Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Tarry in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and the utmost parts of the earth. The Holy Spirit power. Many times we fear because we don't have the capability. And you recognize that in the Bible, when the Holy Spirit came, on the day of Pentecost, the people that were fearful and were praying in the room now moved out. They were able to stand and speak and proclaim the word boldly. That sermon, first sermon preached by Peter, cut people to the heart. And they volunteered by saying, what do we do? Oh, the word you are speaking is tough. If we want to preach a word that will be penetrating in the hearts of men, a word that will bring people into a place of conviction, we need the Holy Spirit's encounter. That's very, very important. That's why it says, you tarry. I know you have learned a lot in my Bible school for three years, you guys, but don't go yet. You have some encounter first. And I pray that will happen. You know, when they did that in chapter 2 and in chapter 3, there was a miracle at the beautiful gate as they were going to the hour of prayer and the cripple walked and the number increased. In chapter 4, they are being persecuted and things are tough. And they are being told, don't preach in this name again. The Bible says in chapter 4, Acts verse 31, the Holy Spirit shook the place where they were again and they spoke the word in boldness. One of the things that we experienced during the days of Idi Amin that died in Uganda. Amin was killing people left and right, forward and center. He killed the Christians. He killed all people he could think of. And they banned the, the place of worship like what we were doing here today. We could not have a chance to worship. But there was something that happened. We had drunk of this Holy Spirit. And so we said we shall not keep quiet. We found a way of preaching it with boldness. That's what the only thing that made us survive. Or may the Lord help us over that. Holy Spirit power. Number five. Number five. It's not only Holy Spirit power, but I want to say this. Let us believe God for the supernatural manifestations. That's great. The supernatural manifestations. Let me tell you, my brethren. We need to understand that the supernatural manifestation in our midst brings life. There's life that is manifested. And that's what people are looking for. Many people come to a church like this for a place of worship. They walk in. People come loaded with issues. People come with problems. People are seeking for deliverance. People are seeking for a breakthrough. People have issues. There's so much stress. There's so much depression. There's rejection. Name it. There are many things everybody is saying, Lord, I wish I could find a solution in this life. And they're waiting for an answer. Nobody seems to be bring the answer. You know, when Jesus came, the Bible says he made a declaration in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. 
The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. People want good news. He has anointed me to open the eyes of the blind. He has anointed me to open prisons for those who are in captivity. He has anointed me to bind the wounds of the brokenhearted. He has anointed me to declare jubilee to them. Fivefold things. That's why he came. When he reached that temple, he found there a woman with a hump on the back. He found people with leprosy. And he started to do that everywhere he went, where it was in Galilee, where it was by the lakeside. When he moved over to the region of Gadara, he found a man who was a demoniac all his life there. A man with a legion of demons. Everywhere he went, what characterized his ministry was talking, teaching with authority, but the manifestations, and that's why Paul the Apostle says, I didn't come to you with the words of eloquence only. I came by the demonstration of power by the Spirit. And that's needed for the church, because the world needs that. There are some people who have come. I don't know whether in here you sing a song called Double Double. Have you ever sung that thing, a Nigerian song? Everything in Double. Have you ever sung? Have you ever heard of that song? Oh, okay. If you haven't heard it, I will not, I will not demonstrate what I wanted to do. But uh, they only sing everything is double, 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 and that is something like that. But there are some people who come to church and they, work, they go away double with problems, double problems, because they come frustrated, they go away more frustrated. And I want to say, when there is that kind of power, things will begin to happen. People come. There are places, places of worship which people literally compete to enter and worship because they say there is a solution here. There is a solution here. Why did the people gather to Jesus? There was healing there. When the woman with the flow of blood for 12 years knew Jesus had come in the city, she says, I want to go there. And the crowd was so big, if only I can touch him. When the people came and Jesus was teaching in the house and there was no room for them to enter, they said, we shall go over the roof and make sure we bring the person there. They all jammed his presence because there was something to be done. And the Bible says, this son shall accompany them who believe. In my name they will do ABCD. And he says many of those things. I want to say this. One of the things that has brought about people being one to the Lord is because they were seeking and they want solutions. And I am praying that this will happen in our lives, to happen in this church here. Let us believe God for it. And it's not a specialty of a few miracle workers. I know in the body of Christ, he releases that. But as a whole body, as a church, he releases it in our midst. It depends on how we seek him. We need to seek him for that. Let's believe him. Number six, quickly running through that, but just before I get to number six, I'll just tell you that there was, there was a situation uh, in the church back at home. And, and when I give this testimony, it's just to encourage us to illustrate what I'm saying. It's not the only thing. There are many other things which God can do. But here was a situation. One lady had been going through problems, and I did not know she was having a problem until one time we met in the marketplace. I'd gone to the market, she was in the market. And I greeted her, and she says, Pastor, I have a problem. I said, what is it? She says, you know what? You might not know but I have been here 12 years and haven't got a kid. And I said, um, my sister, let's believe God. So we prayed in the marketplace. You don't need to wait for the temple. We just stood there because we knew God was there. And we held the hands and prayed. Said, God bless you. God bless you. We went away. 
I met her a few months later. She says, Pastor, I'm expecting. I said, let's continue to pray because I don't want the devil to sabotage that. You know the devil can sabotage it. So we kept praying. A year later, she had a kid. And the day she had a kid and she went to testify in the church, these testimonies which come, many others were encouraged to do the same. And as I left Uganda today, you know, a few years ago, you know, days ago, I found that we had just got another lady who also had a similar thing. Because once the manifestation takes place in one and they give testimonies, you begin to see many others wanting to come to the Lord because of that. But it's just an illustration to say, there are many things which can happen in different people's lives. May the Lord just help us. Others are varied. The other thing is, uh, number six, set apart time to pray and fast for souls. A time to pray and fast for souls. Brethren, great things are earned with a price. You can't earn something precious without a price. We have to pay the price. Talk of any revival in church history. Talk of anything. I know God is sovereign, and because he's sovereign, he can move and burst out a revival. But in most cases, by look of the church history, people have had to travail in prayer. Even during the time of Anna, the woman is recorded in Luke chapter 1. The woman stayed in the temple to pray for the consolation of Israel. Simeon waited. Men and women over history who desired to see a difference, who were discontented, who said, Lord, do something in our time. And I've seen this work out because people are difficult. You know, when you pray and when you meet people, different people, and you speak to them about Jesus, do you know that many of us get discouraged because every time you meet somebody and tell him about Jesus, some of them just refuse to listen to you, and they throw insults at you and so on. You need to go back to the place of prayer. And uh, God, when we pray, he'll direct us where to go. Do you know that the servant of God, when you read from uh, chapter 16 of Acts of the Apostles, Acts 16 and verses 6 to 10, Paul the Apostle himself in that particular chapter had a struggle. And when he had a struggle, he wanted to go over at once to Asia. He was refused by the Spirit. He wanted to go to another place. He was refused. And then in prayer, and one time in a dream, he saw a man calling from Macedonia says, come and help us. Then he knew that God was calling them to go to Macedonia. Not everybody, not every place is meant for you just to speak the words. You need to be directed of the Holy Spirit. And when the person is ripe, you will get results. And, and Paul, Paul did that. Jesus Christ himself went to pray after he had performed great miracles. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, he was out in prayer. And you remember that time when the disciples came to him in the morning and they said, everybody is looking for you. Why? Because of the miracles he had performed. And he said, yes, I know that, but we must go on to another place. We must go to another village. I must preach there also. We need to be guided of God as we pray. Where to go? Whom we talk to? We don't just waste words, but we want to know where we go. Set apart time to pray. And the church, let me tell you, I want to challenge you as I challenge myself. And what I've done over the years, when things have been tough, and we have said, brethren, for this week or two weeks, 
We just want to set ourselves in time of prayer and fasting. And then let the Lord energize us. Let the Lord lead us where we should go. And things have happened. At the end, we get the results. Now, uh, number seven. Be deliberate and move. Be deliberate. You need to be deliberate. You, you see, when you leave it to chance, chance might not come easily. When you leave it to chance, the devil also might come and give you another program. You'll be very deliberate. And by the way, every time you have been deliberate about doing something for God, you get a lot of interferences. But if you have known I have been deliberate, we are going to do this, and it's on my program, you will achieve results. The problem is when we start January, the month of January, and we travel through up to December, you begin asking people, what has happened this year? Have you had a chance to talk to somebody about the Lord? Have you introduced a friend to Jesus? What have you done about it? Many times people tell you, no, no. And the reason why they are saying no is because they were leaving it to chance. They were not deliberate. If we are deliberate and you say, I want at least Lord to help me for one soul. This one thing that I found to be very, very true about T.L. Osborne. He has now gone to be with the Lord. But T.L. Osborne said something which was very, very powerful as I read one of his books. He says, when I determine and I say, this year does not clock to December, without me seeing one person to come to you, and that's all I'm praying for and I'm fasting. If you have the church of 100 people all doing like that, then you know that if they are successful and they are deliberate, by the end of the year, you'll have the church has doubled. Because I'm aiming at only one. Nothing. God, don't give me two. I want only one. I want only one. And the other one is saying, I want one. And the other one says, I want one. And the 50 years, I want one. 50 people want one, each one. That means 100 people at the end of the year. God is faithful. And there are some people who may not make a decision now, but next year they will come. And they can come with somebody else. But you are deliberate about it. Be deliberate. Now, practically, there are a few things that I just want to point out. A few things practically. Yes. I'm watching that African confession. Different aspects that we can use to approach people. One of them is fairness. You know, when you get to somebody, there are some aspects that you can use to approach them. One of them is fairness. You know, people want you to talk about how they are doing. In health, in sickness and diseases. I found this to be so true. Hospital visitations. Those who are handicapped and marginalized in society. You could talk to somebody and encourage them in their times of affliction. That could be an entry point in winning him to the Lord. In Uganda one time, there was a guy who had been isolated by relatives because he had AIDS. And our group went there to do evangelism. They went to talk to this person. They never started to, they never preached in the first instance. They only took there some help. They took food. They cleaned him up. And the person found identity in the society. And when he started to walk, his parents who had neglected him, the father was a Muslim. He commanded his whole family to come and worship in our church. Helis could be one of those areas. And people want to talk about health. They are going through many problems. The other one is work. The whole question of employment, unemployment and so on. Retirement, redundancy, some of these things. How people get it 
from day to day how to live. You may just get to somebody and talk about that person. Don't go and preach the scriptures and begin to quote verses. Just talk about life. People want you to talk about life. I think it's the English who say, you scratch where it itches. Not where it pains. Work, talk about work. Family, talk about family. How are you doing? How is your family? How is your marriage? Then you see someone begin to cry. <laughs> because they are going through difficulties. And that's a, a beginning point. And you can just go through that. Can I pray with you? And things begin to happen. Rebellion is going on in terms of homes and marriages. Conflicts. And Jesus with the woman at the well, you remember in chapter 4, she says, where is your husband? He knew where to touch. She was going through an issue. And uh, then you have things like uh, uh, when you begin to talk about circumstances, just ordinarily circumstances that we go through. Hunger, famine. In our situation, that's very common. Maybe here not. When I come here, I don't experience people who are having a lot of this kind of thing. But it could be there. I've seen some guys on the streets. Jesus with the 5,000. Thirst. The woman at the well was, you know, there, there was some water she went to collect, but then Jesus just touched that water. Give me some water to drink. They need the people. You know, some people just need to go and maybe do a clearing of the compound, and you know, they can't manage it. And you go to clear a compound, and you discover that as you are clearing their compound, it's an opportunity to talk to them about Jesus. We have very many vulnerable children in my country, and we have gone via the children in the schools to enter the families of those who are not born again. You are in a school, when you are in a school and the parents are Muslims and unbelievers, maybe because of the child, you could have an opportunity to sit in their home and talk to them. And I understand you have sat the school here, and you never know what God could do. Because when somebody has his child in your hands, it's easier to listen to you. So you take advantage of whatever God can give you. That only people, there was a woman in Bradford in 1987, I was at a Bible school there, and uh, we went to visit one home, and we found there was a lonely woman who had sat in the house. She had never come outside of the house for 15 years. And when we went there and we talked to her, and she had a problem of an infirmity, and she got healed, she gave her life to Jesus. Look for such opportunities. Circumstances. Um, the other thing that I would like us to say is that be relevant. You need to be relevant. As I have said, you scratch where it itches. Don't come and begin talking a lot of politics to somebody who is not, who is apolitical. They, they aren't interested. Just be relevant. Find out the entry point so that you can have to develop, you develop your conversation there. Because I want you to know that there's a time to talk, there's a time to be silent. You don't need to talk when you're not supposed to be talking. There might be there are moments of, of, of just exercising mercy. Exercising mercy. Young Cho, in one of his books, he talks about one man who escorted another lady who was pregnant. The lady had been to a, a supermarket and she was carrying a lot of stuff and nobody was helping her. And this person just said, can I help you? And they took these things to about the third floor where she was staying in the flat. And because he did that, the lady listened to him. And before too long, she was part of the house cell group members. Just because of the act of mercy. Not talking much, 
but just helping her. We look for opportunities. Pray for their needs. Literature, we could give somebody just some literature and then they read about it. There could be some contemporary ideas which are going on. Some of us in the marketplace professionals, you have an idea. Talk to your fellow professionals about some idea. I think William Wilberforce broke through because he had an idea on how we can overcome slavery. That man came up with an idea, and his contemporaries got that. And in the marketplace, there are things that we shall do, not just by outright opening of the Bible, but the way we discuss things and bring them into the God's order, I believe God is going to make us relevant to the people whom we are talking to. And um, I just want to say that the other thing is that you, not, you need to do a bit of what, what we have termed demorphological analysis. What are the people groups we have? What are their ages? What are their interests? What makes them tick? I found this one to be so true when I visited Rick Warren in the U.S. And I went to his place and they told us how some of the elderly people had to be met differently from the younger people and those who wanted contemporary music. There are those who wanted contemporary music. And then there are those elderly people who said, I just want to sing this. Just as I am. With, oh, that's what I want. And, and then the younger people said, I want baseball. These are the kind of things. So he divided up the church into three groups. And he attracted so many people. But uh, you can see what God tells you to do. But I have been wrestling with some of these ideas as I gather them all over the world. And they have helped me. See how we approach people in their uh, different needs. And then I also want to say that uh, when we move out to pray for people and you are in a situation of wanting to lead someone to the Lord Jesus Christ, you do what I call on-support prayer for the Lord to give you a way out. I think of this one guy, the African, the African brother from Malawi called Stephen Lungu. He was traveling you know, in America in one of the planes, internal flight, and uh, he sat near a lady who came up with all the makeups and she was so sophisticated. I mean, she was perfumed. I mean, she, she was a lady you would fear when you are from Africa to talk to. And, and he sat near her. He says, Lord, I have a will to talk to this lady, but how do I start? She looks very different from me. He said, help me, Lord. And as he sat there, the plane took off and the Lord is so gracious. It got into a turbulence. So there was a turbulence there, and all the Jewish was pouring and every stuff there. And the lady started crying, and she grabbed this African. Ah, oh, she was crying. He says, oh, Lord, thank you for answering the prayer now. It's an opportunity to pray. And, um, and, and, and she, she was crying. Now he was not the, the, the marginalized guy. He, he was not now a nonentity. He was not feeling inferior at this particular time. He was now in charge of this lady who looked so sophisticated. And he, he held her and protected her. And when the plane calmed down, he looked at her, and, at her and said, how was that? I says, do you know what? You could have died, but God held your life. And he started to share Jesus. He had an opportunity. And when he shared the, the word of Jesus Christ with her, eventually she started crying. She gave her life to Jesus. And she shared that she was actually running away from her husband. That was just like the, the Jonah story. He was running away from her husband. Then when they got over the stop, he went to a telephone booth, and he rang her husband. said, hi, I'm Stephen Lungu from Malawi, and I'm with your wife here. 
oh, from, from yeah, with my wife, who has run away, and this man, an African, he's taking my wife, says, please, before you call, listen to me. She has just given her life to Jesus. She's here weeping, and she wants to come back to you. And the man is the weeping at the other end. Two people have come to the Lord Jesus Christ because there's a quick prayer. Hallelujah to Jesus. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, and then uh, I just want to say that uh, the other thing that I would like to say, the very last one, is that uh, uh, there was one boy who, who was coming from the island. And as he was in a boat, he was praying how he could witness the professors who had gone to the island to do research. And they were in a canoe on one of our lakes in, in Uganda. Then he said, Lord, help me, because they are opposing me. They are arguing with me. Then the Lord is so good. He started disturbing the, the, the waters of the lake. And they started to run, you know, left and right. And the professors started getting disorganized from their ideas. The thesis couldn't contain anymore. And the, the professors became quiet. They closed all their files and they started you know, panicking. And the young man was the one, the one who now stood up and was in charge. And he says, Lord, come this sea. Be still, you see, be still. That says the Lord. And the sea became still. There was a miracle. Then the professors looked at him. Now the uneducated became in charge. And now they listened to the word of God. The Lord will do whatever he can do. In all circumstances, when things become very difficult for us to witness. I've said one finally, but can I say another one finally? Uh, the final finally is that uh, there could be an opportunity like this one. As a church, you could organize something. It might be different in your circumstances. It has worked in our circumstances and elsewhere, in some other nations where I have been, where the church deliberately puts on what you could say, you could call revival meetings. Moment of celebration. Celebration in song, celebration in worship. A celebration may be just, you know, for people to just come and relax in the afternoon. And then you strategize that day, that Sunday, you know, you, people just, you become very deliberate in inviting in other believers. It has happened in my circumstances. I don't know how it is here. I just throw this idea to you. You think about it. Pray that the Holy Spirit can give you some other ideas in addition. But you know what has happened? That you bring another believer in that service, a friend of yours who just wants to come and pray, or maybe some of them don't want to pray. It might be an afternoon when they want to have an outing. Like I, have, I found it in, 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 in India where some guys just say, you come and attend our uh, Hindu function. So this Christian went and attended their Hindu function. And then when the church also organized the function, he invited the Hindu and says, you also come and attend our function. And she readily came as a Hindu. And when they were there in the service, she meets Jesus Christ. And so it could be that we sit together on one of those afternoons, make it a deliberate thing, all of us go and bring friends. Not all of us might talk, but some of us have the ability to bring a friend. You bring him there. You're not the preacher. Now the preacher stands here with an evangelistic message. And he shares the word of God. And prays for people and they get their things solved. That person who has come might have an issue. She gets healed. She gets sorted out. That person will come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I've shared a few of these principles, brethren. It's not it all. But I know that the Lord of Jesus Christ is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask, or even what we think. I want to pray at this moment, brethren.
I want to, I want to pray for all of us. I want to pray for us as individuals. I want to pray for us as a fellowship. That the Holy Spirit, God himself, will move and make a difference in this society. His presence, his counseling of us, his instruction, that he will make it possible for us to move and bring the world that's lost out there. The world that we are crying for. It's painful when you think of our children who have become drug addicts. Men who have run away from homes. A generation that is dying. Where so much evil has come in. Somebody needs to get the pain out of it. Somebody here needs to have the pain and say, Lord, I want to be like those men of David. The 400 men in 1 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 2. At Adullam who said, we are not contented with what is going on. We are dissatisfied. We want something more. We want a liberation of our people. We want to see the Lord explode in numbers. Statistically, there has been an increase in the population. But it does not, it's not matched with how many people are coming to the Lord. Lord, what is happening here? We desire to see that, Lord, you will turn the hearts of men to you that you will soften the hearts of men, that you will cause there to be an urge, there will be an urge in every Christian to desire to rescue a dying person who is drowning in the waters. Can you just speak to the Lord yourself? I just desire that each one of us should catch a burden. Just pray to the Lord. I will pray to conclude, but I desire that each one of us should just pray that the Lord would set out a way of disturbing our status quo and we shall run out of the comfort zone somehow. And the Lord will make us sacrifice certain interests for the sake of a dying person. It is sacrifice. We have to pay the price when it comes to winning souls. It's not easy because out there, the devil wants them. And if we are to get them out, we must be strong and strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Just pray. Pray unto the Lord. I'll give you some minutes to pray. Lord Jesus, you are the Lord of the harvest. You declared and made it very clear that we should pray unto the Lord of the harvest because the fields are ripe. This is the Lord of glory. We come to you. Lord, how difficult it has been in many of our areas and circles to introduce somebody to a friendship with Jesus. But this the Lord, you are just challenging us again. It might be one thing that a brother here or a sister here picks on to say, I will use that. It might be something else which is hidden. But in prayer, when we come to you, Lord, we say, reveal to us. We need to know how to do it, Lord. That, Father, what you commanded in Matthew chapter 28 will come true, that the nation shall be discipled to you. We stand this day against strongholds of the enemy. Anything, Lord of glory, that might have made it difficult for us to go out, or anything that have, might have made it difficult for the people to get out of prison, Master, may you intervene. May you pour your spirit afresh upon us in a revival visitation. That, Lord, one man here, one woman here, two people, three, four, five, people will stand up and a fire will begin to catch afresh. That, Lord, you will win the community that's around us. Yes. We desire, Lord of glory, your Holy Spirit visitation. 
Because when you begin to move, nothing can stand you, Lord. I pray, Heavenly Father, by the will of the Spirit of God, that, Lord, Oxford will never be the same. Father, pay a visitation to everyone, Lord, in their homes. I pray, Father, that the things that have held us back, you will put your knife and break them, Lord, and break the chains and set us forth. Make us light, Lord, to move at the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Father, we desire that. Father, make us move up from the things we have been used to. It might be the culture. It might be the tradition. It might be, Lord, just things that we have been used to. But, Lord, when you come, you can overturn them. In the name of Jesus, when you reach the temple, you overturn the tables. May you overturn things in our lives, Lord, that might held us, have, might have held us back, that we may be set loose to move over and shaken afresh, Lord, by the filling of your Holy Spirit, like you did in Acts chapter 4 and verse 31. One more time, Lord, pay us a visitation. In Jesus' name I do pray. Amen. Amen.